Um, but uh, I, I want to invite you to join me with a word of prayer. We're going to get right into the scriptures uh, today, into the book of Colossians. So let's have a word of prayer together. Father, once again, we come to your word. Um, uh, we come uh, sometimes in the midst of stuff, sometimes at the beginning of things, sometimes at the end of things. Um, it seems like our our lives are, are always uh, up or down or waiting for one or the other. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we, as we look once again to your word, as we consider um, the truth of the gospel, as we look uh, to Jesus, uh, the author and finisher of our faith, Lord, that we would be united in spirit and re- united in truth um, as, we, as we consider and as we um, submit to your word. And we pray, uh, give us wisdom and clarity of thought. Uh, give us conviction uh, and knowledge of the truth. Uh, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 1. Uh, I'm, I'm spending a few weeks in Colossians just talking about the gospel. Uh, the, by the way, the, the Greek word that's at the top of your bulletin, uh, in case you're wondering, uh, is toengelion, uh, uh, which means the gospel. Uh, it is actually it actually means the the message being carried, um, and uh, in modern in modern Greek it's to ephelion, um, to 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 ephelion, um, but uh, in ancient Greek it's to angelion, um, which sounds weirder. Um, but uh, anyway, it means the gospel. It means the thing that is being carried by the messenger. Angelos, the word we get angel from. In Greek means messenger. And so um, to engelion is the thing carried by the messenger. In English, the English word gospel, if you don't know, the, the English word gospel comes from uh, goat spell, um, the good story. Um, spell in uh, old, old English, spell just means story. Today it's, you know, witches and wizards and all that stuff. But, um, but in the old days, in old English, it means story. So good spell was good story or good spell, good message um, and good truth. And so that's where we get gospel from. Um, and, uh, and it is this idea of uh, the message of Jesus. And, and I wanted to start this year off talking about the gospel, what it is and what it means. And last week we talked about the gospel being the word of the truth, uh, that it is um, it, it is a, a message. It's an exclusive message. It's a message of Christ being uh, the uh, the savior of the world, that there is no other name given unto men um, by which we could be saved. Uh, and it was it's a revealed message that it is it is not something that we something that just pops into our head, but rather God speaks the word, speaks the gospel to us through Jesus and through uh, the scriptures. So today we're going to continue in Colossians chapter one, uh, beginning in verse five and reading down uh, actually the middle of verse five uh, of this. You have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. And that's where we camped last week. Verse six, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made to uh, known to us your love in the spirit. 
Now, Paul is speaking to a church in the city of Colossae. So this is a group of people uh, who have already been transformed by the gospel. And he's heard the story, the message uh, about this from Epaphras, uh, who is probably their pastor, but may just have been uh, the messenger that was carrying uh, questions to Paul. This is very common. Uh, You had a kind of a, a leader. Uh, Paul was the apostle. And so they would ask questions and they would put all their questions in a letter and they would send it to him. And half the time, Paul is either in prison or headed to prison. So um, he's got a lot of free time. And so he's able to answer their questions and, and send back to them uh, via the messenger. We, we know that in the church of Colossae, there were some false teachers. Um, and, and Paul is dealing with this false teaching, not by addressing the specifics of what they're saying, but going back to the beginning, going back to the gospel. And, and like I said last week, we talked about the gospel being the word of the truth. Uh, this morning, I want to talk about it being the grace of God in truth. What does that word mean, grace? Uh, very simply, I'm going to give you a definition of grace that you can, you can take or you cannot take. It doesn't matter. Uh, grace is receiving everything from the sovereign who owes me nothing. Grace is receiving everything from the sovereign who owes me nothing. Now, sometimes we talk about uh, hesed, the Hebrew word hesed, as being um, uh, receiving from the one who owes me nothing, everything. Um, but, but I want to include that idea of a sovereign because the reality is that grace, if I give you grace as one of your peers, that doesn't mean anything. If I say to you, well, I know that you stole that car, but I forgive you. That does not prevent the police from arresting you because I have no power over that particular situation. I have no authority over that situation. Um, If I extend grace to you over something that I don't have authority over, it is completely meaningless. If if your children are misbehaving and causing trouble and I, you know, send them a text message and say, it's okay, I love you, I forgive you. That does not mean that you're not going to punish them. Because I don't have any authority in that situation. I can forgive them all I want. You're their parents. Um, and, and the reality is that grace is about the, the sovereign, the person in charge, extending to us forgiveness, mercy, compassion, whatever we want to do, that we, we do not deserve. He's giving to us what we don't deserve. Now, now people say that, you know, grace is getting what you don't deserve and not getting what you do deserve. And and that's true. But we got to tie in this idea of the sovereign. That there is someone, uh, this person who is giving us grace actually has the power to give it. And when we talk about the gospel, we can't just talk about the gospel as Um, some nebulous idea of forgiveness of sins without the dealing with the reality that in order for God to be able to forgive my sins, God has to be the one in charge of the justice because of my sins. If if I if I am not and and I'm going to kind of go broad, but if I'm not if I'm not a, a Muslim telling me that Allah loves me means nothing. Right. It, it, it has no touch point for me. Uh, and and I, I'm going out into a weird space to come back to a common space. 
If, if I don't recognize that the one who is forgiving me is the one who has authority over me, then the forgiveness is meaningless. If, if I don't come to a place where I understand God actually has the power of life and death over me, then the threat of heaven and hell and, and guilt and sin and all this, it doesn't mean anything. And so often, uh, people want to talk about extending grace. But they don't want to talk about the truth that is implicit in that grace. Um, this, is, this is a problem we, ha- we often have. Is we, we, define things by, um, we define things by what it does for me. Uh, how it works for me. So I want grace because I feel like I deserve grace. I, I need grace. I mean, how many times do we talk about, oh, I needed this. I needed this thing from God. I needed the Holy Spirit. I, I needed this. And we tend to think of, of things, and it's just a human thing. We tend to think of this kind of stuff in terms of what I need, what I want. We tend to put ourselves at the center of grace. Everybody wants grace. Not everybody wants the truth of grace. Because the truth of grace is that God is the judge of the quick and the dead. It begins there. Again, and to reiterate this point, forgiveness from someone who has no authority is not true forgiveness. It's not true grace. The one who has the power to execute judgment is the one who has the power to execute grace. And the two of them have to be seen together. Uh, In the the mid-20th century, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who some people have heard about, a lot of people talk about, uh, very few people have actually read everything that he wrote. He had some uh, quirky beliefs, and I'm not not one to definitely advocate going out and reading Bonhoeffer. It's not a bad idea, but you have to read, you have to be discerning when you're reading it. Um, but one of the big points that Bonhoeffer makes is that the people, people are obsessed with the idea of cheap grace. Grace that is without the cross or without Christ. And I would say without the authority of God. That, that everybody wants grace. Everybody wants God to forgive. I mean, just in case. Um, uh, my, my daughter one time, um, in, in, you know, the winter season, um, her class wrote a letter to a certain authority figure that's involved in gift giving for a certain holiday. My daughter has never been interested in that particular individual. She came home from school, and I don't know whether she remembers this, but she was coming back from Reed's Ferry, and she told me that that's what they did in class. And I said, well, why did you do that? She goes, never hurts to cover all your bases. <laughs> right? And, and, and the argument was, well, you know, just in case I might get a gift from, you know, who knows, you know? And we found out later, you know, like we, she, we had all kinds of conversations with her about those kind of things, but... Um, but the uh, the idea that the idea that well you know grace you know I, I want to receive that grace but grace without Christ grace without the cross grace without the authority and sovereignty of God what does that mean 
And we all want, we all want the benefits of grace. We, we want, just in case there's, there's, uh, there is a punishment for sin, we definitely want to make sure that we don't go through that. I mean, I've never seen somebody go, well, if there's punishment for sin, eh, that's the way it goes. Now, of course, in the 80s, all the rockers were like, oh, go to hell, we're going to hang out with all the cool guys. You know, hey, you know, and let's face it, those were drugged up idiots. Let's not talk about them as authority figures on choosing your life path. Most people, when they go, okay, well, if, if there is punishment for the wrong things that I do, I want to make sure that I do whatever it takes to not be punished. Right? I mean, would that be a, a fair assessment of how people think? Right? If there is punishment for something I did that is wrong, I want to make sure I don't get punished. But we, we very rarely go to the step of, if there is punishment for it, that is because the person who is punishing is sovereign over me. And that that grace, rather than grace just being something that I can get because I need it, I want it, I don't want to endure punishment, that grace begins with this, this concept that the person I'm asking to give me grace is the one who has the power and authority over me. We don't want to wander there. Because that means that grace requires a commitment and a belief on my part. Now, Paul makes this statement about grace. He says, um, uh, again, in verse six, he said this, the gospel has come to you as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. So here's an extraordinary idea, a revolutionary idea. You have to hear and understand the message of grace from the one who is giving you the grace. You have to hear and understand what it is that you're getting into. I mentioned before that when I was when I was coming up uh, in ministry, we had this obsession with evangelism and evangelism equated meeting somebody on the street or in their house, knocking on their door, telling them how would they like to have eternal life and not leaving until you got them to say a prayer that that basically was, for lack of a better term, a magical incantation that made them a Christian. And dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Uh, I know that you're the Savior. I pray that you will forgive me of my sins so that I can live forever in heaven with you. Amen. And it was a praise Jesus, you're a Christian now. No. No. Sorry. Just saying a prayer doesn't make you a Christian any more than making chugging noises makes you a model train. It's just not true. Prayer that doesn't grow from understanding and belief is just words. You have to know what you're praying. I mean, when I was little, when I was like three years old, three, four years old, my 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 mom said to me, uh, and and I don't mean to offend anybody if you use this terminology, it's just one of those things, you know, but my mom said to me, uh, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? And of course, your mom asks you a question when you're three, four years old. You, I mean, yes, sometimes they say no, but most of the time they're like, okay, mommy, okay, you know, okay, daddy, I want Jesus. And I had no concept of what this was talking about. And you guys know my brain is not wired normally. So that question, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart, brought up all kinds of bizarre images in my head. I had this guy in a bathrobe, you know, with the heart pumping and the whole, I mean, it was confusing, you know, where is your heart? Did a food fall on him? I mean, I just had, 
I had a lot of questions about that. But my mom said, do you want to pray this prayer and, and ask Jesus in your heart? I was sure. Why not? I mean, my mom told me. Sure. And then when I was older, I started to realize, OK, there's there's implications to being a follower of Christ. There's 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 things that are required of me to be a follower of Jesus, to accept the gospel. As I began to hear and understand what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, what it meant to accept the gospel, what it meant to submit to the authority of God in things where he and I disagree. I know we never disagree with God, right? We never have a difference of opinion on how right or wrong something should be. Um, you have to hear and understand. Now, uh, in Romans chapter 10, uh, Paul uses a slightly different uh, idea of this hearing and understanding, but it's the same thing. And I just want to read it. Um, For some of you, it may be very familiar, um, but for others, it may be the the first time you've heard this. But um, when Paul is talking about the gospel, he says this. He says, um, he's quoting the Old Testament, the word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. So he's talking about the gospel. He says, because, and this is chapter 10 and verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing us his riches on all who call on him for. And again, he quotes the Old Testament for everyone who calls on him on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want you to listen this part. He says, but how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, uh, and then verse 17, he says, For faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, look at the progression that he goes. He says, he says, so in order to be saved, in order to to uh, to be saved from our sins, in order to be saved from the punishment that is involved in our sin. And like I talked about last week, I don't think it's hard for us to recognize that sin exists. All we have to do is look around in humanity. All we have to do is look around in selfishness. All we have to do is remember last year. If you want to you want to know for sure that sin exists in humanity, all you have to do is remember in 2020 how hard it was to find toilet paper knowing full well that they could not use all the toilet paper that they were taking off the shelves, human beings accumulated of all things for some reason because they thought it was the cure for COVID. They they took all of the paper towels, all the toilet paper in the entire universe got hoarded into people's houses. I'm convinced there are still people working through the supply of toilet paper they put together in May of 2019. I actually, in my house, we had to, we got to the point, we were so desperate, I ordered a box of the commercial toilet paper from Staples, the big, huge rolls, they're like like 80,000 sheets. There are still two of them sitting in my basement because that was a lot of toilet paper. Um, but it was the only thing I could get. I literally could not get a single roll of toilet paper, and I draw the line at leaves, boys and girls. 
So I was going to get toilet paper. All we have to do is look around in human beings, see that there is sin. And so then what is our response to that? Well, he says, uh, Paul says you, they have to call on the Lord. He, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But he said, but how will they call on the one they do not believe in? Now, isn't it usually the other way around? We usually ask people like, accept, confess Jesus and everything will be better. And they've got questions about it as a confess. And then and then you'll learn to believe later. You'll you'll learn what it means to believe in Jesus later. But he says, how shall they call on the one whom they do not believe in? And how will they believe if they don't first hear? And how shall they hear if we don't preach? And how will we preach if we're not sent now, I, I have a friend who's pastor years and years ago believed that this verse meant that no one could become a Christian unless they heard the gospel from an ordained minister of the church. That is utterly and completely insane. Now, his argument was, it's like, well, it says, how shall they hear unless someone preach? And I'm like, you do realize that's not what this means. Preach means to proclaim. It means to speak. In other words... You can't call if you don't believe and you don't believe if you don't hear and you're not going to hear it unless somebody says something. Unless we speak the gospel. Unless we speak the truth. To be honest, to be honest, we often ignore this idea of understanding as part of coming to be a believer in Christ. Now, I'm not talking about comprehensive, exhaustive understanding. I'm not talking about being able to recite the Westminster Catechism or, or you know, in order to be a believer, you have to memorize this 250-page um, uh, uh, dissertation on, on the eschatological implications of the Abraham Covenant and the hypostatic union. That's not what I'm talking about. But we need to understand what it is. And you know what? In order for our, our family members, our friends our co-workers, our children, to come to faith, they have to hear the gospel from someone who understands it so that they can come to an understanding. Sometimes we think the gospel is just a magic spell. I say some words, you become a Christian. That is not what happens. Becoming a Christian can take a long time. Because sometimes there's a lot we need to understand. You know what's funny is that everybody needs to understand the gospel. They need to understand a little bit of the of gospel a little bit different. Some people, it's just straightforward. I'm a sinner. I'm a reprobate. I'm horrible. Jesus is Savior. He forgives sins. That's all I need to know. And then there are people like me. I have a question about this. Um... And, and sometimes we're intimidated by that. But the Bible, the scripture says, which you have heard and understood. Again, not an exhaustive understanding, but it has to make sense. Now, elsewhere in the scriptures, the Bible says that Paul says that the Holy Spirit quickens us. It makes there. Peter says this, that it makes part of us alive. So the understanding clicks in place. There is God is at work in our in our hearts and our minds as we're processing our way through this. 
And the understanding is born of a synergy of God's Holy Spirit and our intellect and soul and spirit and, and, and being and conversations and community. There's so much at work. But you know what? So often we're in a hurry to get people to understand so that we can count coup and say that person became a Christian. Or we just want, and going to be perfectly honest about this, Sometimes we just want it off our conscience. I got to share the gospel with so and so. I really need them to get saved quick so that I don't have to constantly keep sharing with them. Sometimes we sometimes it, it just accumulates. It's just like how many times do I got to talk to this person? How many times do I have to answer questions? How many times do I keep asking? How many times do I have to preach? How many times do I have to speak? You know, it's one of the most freeing things in the world for me was to figure out that saving people was the Holy Spirit's job and I just get to be a part of it. So my time frame doesn't matter. Like my, my well, I should be able to do this in like three conversations. I was in an evangelism workshop where they compared people coming to Jesus to people going to Walmart. And the argument was, you know what? The first time that they hear the gospel, it's like the first time you walk through and walk through the doors in a Walmart. I'm sitting there going, "Okay, where are we going with this? And it's like, you know, the smiling face of the greeter that meets you at the door. That's what makes you come back to Walmart. Now, again, me, I'm going, that is not why I go back to Walmart. I go back to Walmart because sometimes towels are a dollar ninety nine. I go back to Walmart because usually they have a cheap alternative to whatever it is that I want, but it's too expensive for me to buy. I go back to Walmart because sometimes I'm just wandering around and there are giant bins of movies I haven't seen in 20 years. And I go, ooh, kickboxer, $3. And I just pick it. That's why I go back to Walmart. I do not go back to Walmart because some greeter got in my face. But their argument was, well, you know, you come back to Walmart because that person introduced you to it and you, they had a great experience. You had a great experience. How many of you have ever had a great experience going to Walmart? Like you walked out of Walmart and went, I feel so relieved and so distressed. I am so, no one has ever experienced that. Target maybe, but not Walmart. And that's because Target has a Starbucks in the entrance and, um, you forget all your pains by burying them in caffeine. Um, but the, this, the, this idea that, oh, well, the gospel, people would just, you know that it's not on our time frame. Now, and get back to the seminar. They said that three points of contact should be enough for somebody to come to faith in Christ. And if they don't come to Christ within three points of contact, you should literally, this was said to me, wipe the dust off of your feet and go to the next person. Because they're probably not going to become believers. Boy, I am glad that my parents did not have that philosophy when it came to me. Boy, am I glad that the people that worked hard on me to crack the shell that I had built up for me to grow as a Christian didn't just give up after three tries. You say, well, you know, sometimes people just aren't interested in the gospel. Okay. Okay. It's not news, by the way. When Jesus was preaching the gospel... Of himself, they weren't interested in it. Like, he's like, I was raised from the dead. And people are like, no, you weren't. I mean, that, so it shouldn't surprise us that people don't receive the gospel. But you know what? Our job is to proclaim it. Now, real quick, how can we proclaim the gospel? 
Number one, we can proclaim it through our words. That should be pretty obvious. It's a revealed scripture. We speak Christ in all that we do and say. Now, that doesn't mean that every conversation leads off, do you want to know how to become a believer in Christ? It's not what I'm talking about. Um, I started doing that. I'm trying to do the voice. If you guys have ever heard, one day I'm going to master it. The voice of the guy that does the, um, the man in the arena announcements for, Tom, for the Tom Brady series. He has the most annoying announcer voice in the, in the world. Man in the arena brought to you by Under Armour. I, it's so irritating, but that's going to be my new, uh, my new like annoying person voice when I get it down. Um, but you know, it's like we 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 want to pitch. We don't have to do that. You can you can proclaim Christ in your words without beating people over the head with it. If if you truly, as a follower of Christ, you are inundating yourself with the Scriptures and you are yielding to the Holy Spirit, it should flow out in your conversation. It should just be a part of your vocabulary. That we speak about this, not offensively, not aggressively, it's just part of it. And then there are times that we speak directly. If somebody asks you a question like, well, what makes Christians different from everybody else? Well, they just open the door, roll with it. Hopefully you know the answer. But that's not the only way we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel in our actions. Those who have received grace should be ready to extend grace. Now, those actions may be extreme and insane. I want to give you just two absolutely absurd illustrations of it. I have a friend uh, who, when his little girl was being born, the nurse incompetently did not notice that the umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck. And as a result, his little girl, his daughter, has lived her entire life, she's in her 20s now, uh, with incredible severe handicaps as a result of that negligence of that nurse. He could have sued the hospital and the nurses for millions of dollars and won, and he would have been justified. But it would have destroyed the life of someone that he thought was valuable, this nurse. And so he chose not to do it. To take on himself the brunt of raising and caring for this handicapped daughter who was somebody else's responsibility. Now, I'm going to be honest. When I heard that story, I said to him, are you nuts? But that was what God led him to do, to extend grace. I'll tell you another story. I have a friend. He and his wife were having difficulty. He went out and had an affair. The woman he was with got pregnant. His wife not only forgave him and took him back, which again, beyond what I would have done, she then raised the child of that affair as her own. Why? To extend grace because grace has been extended to us. Now, we may not have those same situations. We may not go to those extremes. Extending grace because we have received grace may be as simple as as forgiving things that irritate or bother us. It may be as simple as finding fellowship with people we don't have a lot in common with. It it may be as as simple, as extraordinary as as a kind word to someone who is suffering. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Our poor waiter, we went out for for dinner uh, last mo- uh, Monday was Nicole's birthday. We went out for dinner. She had a little birthday gift certificate. 
Our waiter, one of the greatest waiters we have ever had. Love this guy. I love going there. I love tipping him well because he's a great waiter. He brought us her chicken. Her chicken was so raw, it was red and bleeding. I am not making up. My wife went, there's a lot of red stuff on my plate. She opened the chicken up. It was red and bleeding. That's fine for steak. That's bad for chicken. The poor waiter took that thing. He took it back to the, to the, uh, to the kitchen, brought it back out, still red. He was embarrassed. He was mortified. The manager came over. On the plus side, the three of us ate for $21. I said, you know what? He needs encouragement. And this is not a brag, but I tipped him more than our check was. Because he needed love and grace in that moment. He was, he was having a rough night at that point. It wasn't his fault. He, he had been taking care of us like, like nobody's business. Extending grace in that moment. You say, well, does that mean that instantly he's just going to get that tip and bow his head and pray and become a believer? No! It may be years of a conversation. He may never become a believer. He may already be. I don't know. I don't have long extended conversations with wait staff right now. During COVID, they're kind of busy. They're only slightly less busy than nurses. Some days, I think he had like 40 tables or something. He was running like crazy. But you just extend grace. You can preach it through your words. You can preach it through your actions. And I want to tell you the third way that you can preach the gospel. And this may sound a little weird. You can preach it through your prayer. So what do you mean? I believe very strongly that as long as God has put it on our hearts to pray for the unbelievers in our lives, there is still a chance that they will come to faith. And so those I know in my life who are not believers... I pray for them all the time. I don't just pray for opportunity to share the gospel. I pray for moments where they just see God in the everyday. I, I prayed for my grandfather, my mom's stepdad. Uh, he, he believed he was unforgivable because of things he had done during World War II. That God could never forgive him. And as a, as a teenager and then as a young man, I prayed every day for my grandfather. That he would know the forgiveness of Jesus. I don't know whether he did or not before he died. I really don't. But I prayed. Why? Because he wasn't going to listen. I tried. He wasn't going to listen to me. He didn't want to hear some young jiving preacher. He was 90 years old. What was I going to tell him at 20 years old about life that he hadn't already learned? But I prayed for him. You can preach the gospel in your words, the most obvious. You can preach it in your actions. And you can preach it in your prayer. Is it grace that you have received as a believer? And how can you extend that grace to others? Until they understand what they are hearing and come to faith. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Holy Father, Speaking personally, I'm overwhelmed by the gift of your grace upon me and upon others. That as sinners, Christ died for us so that we might know you.
give us your patience and your word as we preach the gospel. To wait on the Lord and his work in the hearts and minds of men and women around us. Help us to be active and real and true in word and action and prayer. Lord, not for our glory. Not for, not even to save them from punishment, but for the glory and majesty of Jesus our Savior. Jesus, it is all about You. Everything we do and say defined by Your truth and Your grace poured out upon us. Holy Spirit, guide us in the path You would have us to take and the steps You would have us to, to, to do in the, the love and the prayer and the preaching. Help us to rise to the challenge of being a church that shares the gospel in every way we can. May those around us hear and understand the truth of Jesus Christ. We pray all of this in, the, in your name and your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. My brothers and sisters, go in peace.